Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 17. Last week we had three points again. We saw about service, specifically humble service, uh, that it is, first of all, our privilege to serve God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the holy God of all creation. It's a, it's a humbling uh, and, and it's a privilege to be able to, it's humbling and it's a privilege to be able to serve Him. And then number two was humble service yields huge blessings. Uh, when we serve God in that humility, from that place of humility, if you will, um, then there's huge blessings that come along with it. Not, not always on the outside. Sometimes those huge blessings are on the inside, and sometimes they're wrapped in small packages. And if we're not careful, we can miss uh, the amazing blessings of God in that humble service. And then number three, humble service comes from faith and a heart of gratitude. And again, great reminders that we saw. And this week, we turn again in this study. Many of you are already familiar with it, a journey with Jesus. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it is a journey that we're taking in Scripture through the book of Luke and finding out the answer to the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And so again, we've been trying to walk with him, learn from him, hopefully grow closer to him in this intimate walk through, uh, through his word. And at the same time, we've seen people come to faith in him through this. And so a uh, very, very uh, great study that we've been doing. But we're turning this week to a very hot topic, um, and specifically a hot topic among Christians, uh, and that is that of the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus Christ. And I think, again, we've been talking about this recently, all the events and all the craziness that's going on in our world, and we all begin to have this type of discussion as Christians that, well, God must be coming back really soon. I mean, things are getting even crazier, things are getting worse. And that is biblically based, um, but again, it's a very hot topic because we would all love to know when he is coming back. We would all love to know, man, it would be great if I knew the day, if I knew uh, when it was going to happen, that would be awesome. Because why would that be awesome for us? Some, for some people, it's we're not living our life in a way that pleases God, so we kind of have a time frame that we can get those things straight and in order before he returns. Um, because we don't want to be found uh, in a place that's not glorifying God when he returns for us. Uh, other people are going through bad things and negative things and trials and hurts and sorrow and loss, and, and it's just a long hour. I want to know when he's coming back. That way I know how much longer I have to deal with this. Um, so again, there's different places that people have an excitement uh, for Christ's return, but um, I, we're going to see something today that was completely unexpected from, for the Pharisees, specifically the religious crowd of the day. And I think it got me thinking, we all seem to face uh, things like that, unexpected. Things that we were uh, expecting to be one way and turned out to be something quite different. Maybe it's the first time that you eat food uh, that wasn't necessarily like you expected. We were in uh, Nicaragua. And uh, we were walking through the jungle or cloud forest uh, on this volcano, and they were t this, the guide stopped and told us that this this plant that had a little small little bud, uh, piece of fruit or something on it bud um, was where they get cyanide from, and they were like, "So don't eat that." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh," and then just a little bit longer, 
the guy pulls off some leaves off another tree, and he's like, here, eat this. And I'm like, ah. So Jaron Rogers, one of the missionaries that we support that you guys know, he, uh, he's, you know, he's maybe a couple screws are loose, but um, no. <laughs> He, uh, he just starts eating it. He's like, oh, wow, that's not at all what I expected. And so I'm like, oh, great, you know. So, that, so I try it, and it was. It was, it was completely uh, different and, and unexpected. But that was a neat uh, experience. But sometimes we have that unexpected experience that is, um, you know, bad on the other side. That was pleasing, and it was shocking on, on the good side. Uh, but sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes it's the negative. Uh, or maybe it's sometimes the first time that you meet a famous person or somebody you've seen on TV or uh, a sports figure or something like that, and you think, man, they just weren't as big as I thought they were going to be, or they weren't as tall, or they were way shorter. Uh, we went to Washington, D.C. last year, and we were able to see a, a couple of the senators and, and uh, congressmen, and one of the, the senators that we saw, or representatives that we saw, was... Uh, Bachman, Michelle Bachman, and uh, conservative, and me and Michelle saw, I was like, hey, that's Michelle Bachman, and she was like, yeah, and I was like, she's way shorter than I thought she would be, <laughs> way shorter, and uh, so it's just, you know, you're just kind of unexpected and things like that. Um, maybe it was the first time you drove, you know, you were thinking, man, it's going to be awesome, and then you got to drive, and you're like, eh, this is all right, uh, maybe it's the other way, but about 17 years ago, Rochelle and I had one of those experiences. Uh, six months before our wedding, I had paid off an all-inclusive honeymoon that I had saved so hard for. Uh, the travel agent that we used was a family friend and a church member, and the place that we were going to or that I had paid for was highly recommended. And, of course, this was before the age of Google and Google reviews and all that kind of stuff. And so... Uh, we were going completely off of what she said and other people were saying. And so my mind and my heart was telling me, this is it. This is it. I, I mean, I, this is going to be, I'm going to, Rochelle's going to love this. And I was, you know, we, we were just all pumped up about this honeymoon. Uh, we're going to have this storybook honeymoon in this exotic, uh, romantic Caribbean location. And it was just, I mean, it was there. It was, it was awesome. And so then we fast forward about six months. And um, right before our wedding, matter of fact, the day before our wedding, they're up here getting ready, and Rochelle gets a phone call that the place we had reserved and paid for six months before had overbooked. Okay, that's, that's not good, but there was good news to come, because she said, well, what they're going to do, though, is they're going to put you up in the most exclusive the best place in all of this area and so it's actually going to be like an upgrade to what you paid for and I'm thinking man that's the favor of the Lord praise God you know I mean it just goes south and then it's amazing praise the Lord God just having his hand on us and um, so that was good we can deal with that the next day happens wedding Things start to kind of fall off, and the driver takes us to the wrong hotel after the wedding. And we're like, you know what, it's okay. You know, we're married now, and, and uh, no, no problem. So we get on the flight, head down to this amazing place, and, I mean, you know, we're just stoked. We're like, here we go. 
honeymoon of a lifetime. And uh, we roll up in, in, in this plane and get out of the, the let's say, if you're going to go to this place, get on this bus, get on this place, go to this bus. So we get on this one that's going to the most, and we say, hey, this is where they told us to go. You know, we're, we've got reservations here now. And so we go on this bus ride, and we get to this resort, and um, things look a little odd. They got people lined up in some places, and some people are walking away disgusted and, and putting them to the side, and they're reaching back behind the counter and getting these alternative booking, you know, things behind them. And, and I'm thinking, I, I, don't, I don't like what's going on here. And I'm seeing the people that are getting the stuff from behind the counter and the people walking away from that being very upset and not happy. And so I tell Rochelle, I hope our stuff is not back on that back counter because <laughs> this is not looking good. And uh, so they, we get up to the line, and sure enough, they say, oh, okay, hang on one second. They go back there, find our paperwork back there on the back counter, come back to the counter and tell us, well, we're overbooked. Okay, what does this mean? Well, it means that you're going to be sent to our most recently built and most, you know, uh, adults only and, and, you know, all these things. And I'm thinking, this is the worst. <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't the worst to come. I mean, the worst was to come. And, and, and so I'm thinking, this is not good. We are starving to death. And so we're asking, can we just get... Our bracelets, if we're going to be in the same type of resort family, can we just get our bracelets and eat? No, you can't get your bracelets and eat. Oh, golly. So what are we going to do? We're going to wait. We're going to wait for another couple hours. And then we're going to take another couple hour trip to the next resort that we're supposed to stay in. And so it's going to be another four hours before we eat. We have nothing. We can get nothing. And I'm thinking, man, this is, this is the worst. And uh, so we finally get on the, 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 the bus to the next resort. And... We get there, and I'm like, man, let's just check in and eat. I mean, I'm starving to death at this point in time. And so we get there, like, yeah, hey, we got your room ready. Or no, it wasn't ready. No, room wasn't ready. Sorry. Yeah, you're here. That's what they said. Yeah, we, you're here, but your room's not ready. Okay, so we go and eat. We come back. Hey, your room's ready. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Oh, in the meanwhile, this is here. Here it goes. We go to eat, but then we're like, hey, let's go look at the beach. You know, that's what we came for. We go look at the beach, and there is no beach. <laughs> there is a complete, it's a, it's a barrier that they had built there at the resort so that they could have some type of swimming area that goes out so far because they had built the resort where the undertow was too heavy. And so we go back up to the counter, and, and Rochelle, brand new bride, on her honeymoon, says, Where's the beach? <laughs> and they explained to us, this is, this is the problem. So we're like, oh, this is not good. Not good at all. We finally head to our room. And so we get there, start to open the door. We walk in. And, and granted, now take it back to the, the original place. I had paid for a honeymoon suite. I mean, I, it was, you know, king-size bed and just everything. It was, it was everything. So that's what we're supposed to get at this place. So we walk in the room. And I'm walking behind the, the bus boy or whatever, uh, and I walk in the room, and I see two full-size beds in the room. And I just stop, and I go, oh, yeah, no, this is not a room. And he, he goes, yes, it's your room. And I go, no, it's not our room. <laughs> you need to get on the phone and call the office because that's not our room. 
I paid for a king-size bed. That's got two rooms. I mean, two beds, obviously not our room. And um, so I'm not going to continue on because I could tell this story. Just keep telling it. It would be the whole sermon. I don't want to do that. Needless to say, that was still not the worst. Uh, Things continued to get worse. As we came back, I ended up getting Montezuma's revenge. Rochelle ended up getting sick too. We are back home, sick as dogs, trying to get things straight in our new... It was just, it was crazy. Needless to say, that was completely not what I expected it to be. (laughs) Everybody said, honeymoon, you know, this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. It just was not everything that we expected it to be. Um, So those things happen in our life. Sometimes they're catastrophic. Sometimes they're small. uh, But that's what is going on. So that's what we're going to see this morning. uh, Something that was completely unexpected. And uh, so let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be um, in this place worshiping you. Thank you for your word. And now as we enter into it, I pray that you would be glorified, that your will would be accomplished. That you use me as a vessel and that this message would speak to each of our hearts. And that we would use it to not only be challenged and and, and more faithful in serving you. But God, that more people would be reached uh, with this urgent message. Lord, just bless now. And we'll praise you and give you all the glory from it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 17. We're going to pick up verse 20. It says this, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Or in other words, it doesn't come in ways that can be observed. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, or it's in your midst. And right off the bat, if you've got your notes there, point number one is this. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. We have to remember that God owns everything. God is is sovereign. He is over everything. He owns everything. And so he's not interested in having a kingdom in the way that mankind has kingdoms on this earth. Mankind's kingdoms are very self-centered and driven. God is interested in simply purchasing sinners from the grips of sin, and then taking up residence inside of them and being the king of their lives. And the reason why he wants to be the king of our lives is so that he can bless us and protect us and provide for us in everything that we need in this eternal kingdom. See, the Pharisees were blinded to this truth. They had already set up their own kingdom and their own religion. They were already doing their own thing. They were kings of their own lives. And Jesus was in their midst, and they were missing the kingdom of God completely. And that's why he was saying this to them. They had this religious authority. They were lording it over people. And that translated to something that was all they wanted. That's all they wanted in their life. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching the kingdom of God and John the Baptist says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. They didn't want anything to do with that type of kingdom. And the reason why is everything Jesus was teaching was teaching them that they couldn't use the same manipulation on people that they had been using in their religion that they were enjoying in their religion. And so Jesus said, listen, you guys have no idea what the kingdom of God is like. You have no idea what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not like you can go and say, here, this is where the kingdom of God is. This is where the kingdom of God is. It's not like that. It can't be observed the way that you think it can be observed. It's in your midst. And I want you to also notice, too, back in that that first verse, verse 20, that they demanded of him when his kingdom would come. When it would come. But why? Why were the Pharisees so insistent on when the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ would come? I believe 
specifically, their main reason was, is because it was that threat to their religion and the threat to their way of life. Jesus coming to rule and be the king and the kingdom of God coming in the way that Jesus was teaching it, it was completely going to destroy their kingdom. And I want us to know this today. It's still the case for religion today. Jesus, the kingdom of God, is a threat to religion. There's a lot of people that show up at church, a lot of people that are churchgoers, a lot of people that are religious, that aren't a part of the kingdom of God. And the thought of the kingdom of God coming and and changing how they do things or the kingdom of God, uh, them being a part of this kingdom of God and them having to change something themselves gives them anxiety. It doesn't sit well with them. They don't want to live in that kingdom because their kingdom suits themselves. Again, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom in that it revolves around the king and not around man. Again, that's what is, is blown up so many times when people consider uh, salvation, the kingdom of God, and, and this, this idea of lordship salvation, which is the only salvation. By the way, you can't have a savior without having him as Lord. It's impossible to have Jesus as your, as your savior and him not as the Lord of your life. It's not the way it works. And so again, this is what he was bringing, this is what he was teaching. The focus is on the king, not on selfishness, not on self-centeredness, not on what they want. Again, he's already talked to them about this. He's already pronounced woes on them. He's talked about their hypocrisy, about all those things that they have wrong. And so he begins to explain a little bit more about his plan in this kingdom. And look in verse 22. He said to the disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. You're not going to see any of those days. And you shall say, uh, and they shall say it to you, see here, see there. He says, go not after them, nor follow them. Don't, don't go after what people are saying, because I'm telling you there's going to come a day when you're not going to see the Son of Man on this earth like this. He's talking about his ascension. He was talking about his uh, returning to heaven. But then look in verse 24. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of, uh, out of one part of under heaven, shineth unto the other, other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and, and be rejected of this generation. So let's, let's take a, 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 a pause and remember what was, was happening. The Pharisees demanded when he was going to return. Jesus turns to his disciples who had ears to hear, and he explains to them, listen, listen I, I, need to ex- I need to teach you guys something. There's going to come a time that I'm not going to be with you. You're going to desire to see one of the days that I was with you, and it's not going to be there because I'm going to be gone. But I'm telling you this, I'm coming back. And just as the lightning comes and and it strikes in one one part of the heaven and it goes to the other part, that's how I'm going to be when I return in judgment. That's how it's going to be. But then he explains to them, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so so, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank. They married wives. They were given a marriage until the day that Noah entered to the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus very clearly told us 
that the king will return with judgment. Again, the kingdom of God is about the king, and the king is coming back one day. And he's returning with judgment. That's point number two. That's his plan. That's, his, that's been his plan. We looked at this last week in the midweek service. We talked about we struggle with all the, the, uh, uh, the difficulties. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not the midweek service, but um, uh, last Sunday evening. We, we struggle with difficulties, and we ask questions like, well, if, if God is God and he's good, then why, are, why is all these bad things happening in this world, and why do we still have to deal with these things? We answer some of those questions, and we, we talked about that a little bit last Sunday night. One of the things that gives us hope and comfort is to know that one day he's coming back to ultimately deal and, and remove all of the wickedness, all of the pain, all of that. He's coming back with judgment. See, his first advent, which is the first coming of Jesus Christ, what we've been looking at in Luke when he's walking with mankind on this earth, he was a babe. He was innocent. And he was that spotless lamb that was slain for the sins of mankind, for our sins. That's how he came the first time. He willingly yielded his life as a sacrifice for sin. He was rejected by his own creation. Not only that, he came as a Jew and was rejected and despised by his own people. Isaiah 53 says this, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken. He bore our sorrows, he bore our griefs, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace, or, or the punishment that brought about our peace was put upon him. And with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, that was accomplished 2,000 years ago. Done. It's done. That was accomplished. God came in the form of flesh, lived a holy sinless life and as again as a spotless lamb laid down his life as that propitiation that payment that atonement that satisfaction of what a holy god required on sin was put and accomplished on jesus christ on his, on the cross everything we deserved everything that we should have uh, gone through for our own sins he did for our sins he was buried, and three days later, he rose again just as he said he would, because he's God. He used that body to be that sacrifice, and you can't kill God. He was sacrificed in the flesh to be that payment. And the Bible says that he ascended, and now he is standing at the right hand of the throne of God, and one day he will return just as he's saying he's going to return. The second advent is what it's called. The second coming of Jesus Christ, make no mistakes, will be as the lion, will be as the judge. And it will be swift and it will be with fury taking vengeance upon all evil. Don't be mistaken in that. The scripture is very clear. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28, it says that Christ was once offered 
to bear the sins of many. Well, that word many is the same word that we see in Romans where it talks about uh, many are justified, um, and that means all. It's, it's another word for all. So to bear the sins of many of all. He, he was sufficient, the sufficient sacrifice of all mankind. And it says this, And unto them that look for him, those who are looking for his return because they have faith in him, shall he appear the second time, listen to these words, without sin unto salvation. What does that mean? It means this, the first time he came to be offered to bear the sins of many, he came to pay for sins to bring about salvation. The second time he comes will not be to do that. He's already done it once and it was done for all. He will not come back again. Some people say when Christ comes back or when I stand before God, that's when I'll say, you know what, here's my life. I trust Jesus now. No, there will be no opportunity at that point in time. When he comes back again, it will be in judgment. And it will be a fiery, fur a furious judgment upon the wicked and the evil that still remains. They say, how exactly do we know this for sure that's going to happen like that? Jesus just said, as it was in the days of Noah and it was in the days of Lot. Two examples of what it's going to be like when he comes back. Again, in Noah's day, the Bible says that they disregarded the warnings. God had long suffering towards them. And as uh, Noah continued to preach righteousness, the people continued to reject him, that he was doing what God had commanded him to do. And the only way of salvation was to go God's way by faith and get inside the ark to be spared from the judgment to come. The people scoffed, they laughed, they continued marrying and eating and dancing and living their lives, maybe having their own religion, doing their own thing, but not trusting God in God's way. And so they experienced the judgment. And how did that judgment come? The Bible's clear. It was swift and it was just and it was final. It was done. We know that it was only those that were in the ark that was spared. Everything else, every other human was wiped off the face of the earth. Lot's day was similar. They were materialistic. They were self-consumed. They were indifferent to God and God's ways. And we know that they were absolutely vile in their thoughts, in their actions. They were corrupt. Sounds a lot like 2017 to me. But in both examples, only a limited few had trusted God in God's way. And only a limited few were delivered from the judgment that was coming. And the day that Lot was removed, the Bible says, judgment came the very day. And it was swift, it was just, and it was final. And again, Jesus says that when he comes, it will be the same exact way. That's how it's going to be. But not only that, since the time of this writing, since the time that Jesus was walking with his disciples, uh, those disciples and other followers of Jesus Christ were used to write other things to come, the revealed the prophecies of things to come, John in the book of Revelation, but also Paul and, and Thessalonians and Corinthians and, and um, uh, Peter and, and some of his epistles, write about some of the things to come because that's what the Holy Spirit gave to them for us today even. And one of those things is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, and it says this, and I'm, we're just going to read the whole chapter, so stay with us. This is what's going to happen. This second epistle, beloved, I write now, I now write unto you in both which to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. 
Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, which means mockers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? I thought Jesus was coming back. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. I mean, we don't see anything. Jesus, he's not going to come back. You're going to have people saying that, he says. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. In other words, God created the world out of nothing and formed it from water and he separated the waters from the land. I mean, that's, that's the way it was done, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. He used that same exact process to destroy the earth in judgment with water. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, the same word that created them out of nothing, the same word that formed the earth from the void, all those things are kept in store. What are they kept in store for? Why are they kept intact? What, what is, why are they kept the way they are right now? Look what it says. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition or sin of ungodly men. That's what, that's what the world is waiting for. The rainbow doesn't stand for anything else that the culture may say it stands for. The, ro- the rainbow stands for a promise of God that he would not judge the earth in the same manner that he judged it the first time as in, in, with water. Scri- scripture tells us, though, that the judgment that's coming will be a purging and an all-consuming fire to judge this world. But look at verse 8. He turns and tells, tells the believers, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, and the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as men, some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to, long to usward. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We talked about this again last Sunday evening when we talk about dealing with sin and talk about dealing with all the difficulties and struggles and hurts and heartaches and losses that we feel in this world. And we say, why is God still allowing these things? Because God is still saving sinners. Because sinners are in still in need of a Savior. And while that is the case, that means that there's still going to be sinners doing what sinners do, which is sin. And that produces hurt and, and heartache and death and destruction and all those things. That's, that's why we still are dealing with this. Because he's not willing that any should perish. But that every person on this earth would be saved. Now God in his infinite wisdom knows that not everybody's going to be saved. We don't know who is and who isn't. God knows who is. And Jesus told his followers that. And that's why we said a while ago, it's very, exactly the way it was for Noah and for Lot. Jesus said there's many on the path that leads to destruction, but there's few that is on the, path, the narrow path that leads to life everlasting. And it says that he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt, melt I'm sorry, melt, <laughs> shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I don't know about you, but I've been driving around, and, and you know, Rochelle been, and I have been driving and, and just looking at things, and I've been by myself at times thinking, and I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of concrete, there's a lot of cool things that are built, you know, buildings, and and, and all these things, even our homes, our earthly homes, I mean, there's just some amazing things out there. And so many people are living for these things, 
for stuff and, 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 and material things and, and just living their lives. That's what's driving them. That's what gets them up in the morning. That's what drives their, their motivation is all this stuff and all the things and all the, the works of this world. And God in his word tells us as his people, you have to understand something. There's coming a day of judgment when everything will be completely destroyed. What if you lived your whole life pursuing these things, living for these things? That's what's driving, that's what motivates you. And then in one instance, as a thief in the night, it's all just destroyed. Your whole life, your whole desires, everything you were motivated for, gone, never to have them anymore. What a vain life to live. And that's exactly what the Bible says. It's vain to pursue that. It's vain to, to live for that. We should be storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. Not storing them up here on this earth where they're going to be destroyed anyways. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, be destroyed, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, you should be looking for and you should be anticipating the return of our Savior and our God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. How should you live in anticipation for his return? You should be living with holy conduct and godliness. It should be driving your every day. That should be your motivation. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. If you're looking for these things, you're waiting for his, uh, his return, you're waiting for his kingdom that's all about righteousness, then you have to think, I'm supposed to be living in a way that's peaceful and without spot and blameless. And not only that, he says you need to account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved uh, brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given to him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of those things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned or ignorant and unstable rest. What he's saying is, listen, the Apostle Paul talked about the things to come, and you've read some of his writings, and some of those things are really hard to understand. And those people who don't have knowledge of Jesus Christ, those people who are ignorant of those things, what they end up doing is they try to twist it. And try to manipulate it. Just like he was warning people of then. He was saying, look, there's people, some people saying that Jesus isn't coming back. There's going to be scoffers in the last days. And they're going to say, hey, this stuff isn't real. This Bible, this Christianity, it's all pretend stuff. And Peter is telling them, don't give in to them. Don't listen to them. Don't let them pull you back from the urgency. Don't let them pull you back from the steadfastness. Don't let them pull you back. Don't let anything or anyone pull you back from living the life that glorifies God because that kingdom's coming. It's coming. And when he returns, let you, be, you need to be found in peace and without spot, without blameless. And Paul wrote about these things. People are twisting his words just like they're twisting the Lord's and mine, he said as they do also in other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, know, you know the truth, you know that people are going to twist the truth, you know these things before, beware lest also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. You don't, don't be aware of these things and don't let anyone or any, anything pull you away. Tell you that gathering with the saints isn't important tell you that being a witness for Jesus Christ isn't important. 
tell you that selling out for Jesus Christ isn't vital. Don't let anyone tell you other than what we've, we've written to you. And see, that's what's happening in our world. I've even shared it recently. Even something as simple as the saints gathering to worship like we're doing right now. In religion, I'm not even calling it Christianity. In religion, people say things like this. It's not important to be at every service. It's not important to be there every time the, the saints gather. My question was this. Why do we gather? The right answer would be for Jesus Christ. My next question would be this then. If we gather to meet with him, if he was here in the flesh, would you be here? If he stood here and said, I want my people to gather and worship me, would you be here? See, he wants worship all the time. And we have three appointed times, typically. So it's nothing. But the world and religion tells us, you got time. You just do your own thing. It's not important to do that. You got other important things to do. They say that about witnessing. You'll have time to tell that person. You'll have time to share with them. You'll have another opportunity. And Peter is saying, don't let people who twist the scriptures and, and twist the truth and, and are ignorant of the gospel and, and, and don't have a, a relationship and, and they do those things to their own destruction, don't let them pull away, pull you away from your steadfastness in, in your relationship with God. Don't let them pull you away from that. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So for the child of God, there's no fear or no worry in, in the return of our Lord, of our King. We should be joyous. We should be excited. We should be anticipating, just as we just saw, looking for, looking for and hastening the coming of our Lord, finally seeing Him face to face. As we just saw, we should also be very diligent to live our lives, lives of honor and godliness and steadfastness, as we saw. We should be aware of the pull that exists in this world to take us away from that faithfulness, to take us away from that steadfastness. And that's one of the reasons why Peter, as a pastor, was reminding his readers, I'm going to stir you up always in remembrance of these things. That's a pastor's job, is to continue to remind us, but never despise what God has said in his word and what a pastor reminds you of in God's word. If, if God's word is saying, hey, this, and the pastor saying, hey, this is what God's word says, then you should say, you know what? I need to listen. I need to embrace. I need to go for I don't need to be pulled away from my steadfastness in my relationship with the Lord. You can, you can, again, you can explain it away. You can try to, um, you know, uh, give, give whatever reason why. Well, I don't think it's a big deal. You can do that all day long. But as I said, if we knew that we were going to meet our Lord, let's, let's say we got a message from God, and he said, I'm going to meet you in person at 3 p.m. today. Every single child of God, we would be here. There's no doubt. If you're a child of God. 
But if, again, this is the reason why we gather, this is the reason why we go, this is the reason why we serve one another, this is the reason why we love one another, we should be steadfast in that. Not let anything or anyone pull us away from the steadfastness in our relationship and service for Christ. That's what Peter was saying. The spirit of unbelief, this mocking spirit, this spirit that spits in the face of God, it comes in so many alluring different forms. Sometimes they're blatant, though, and again, sometimes they're very subtle. But we have to be knowledgeable. Peter said that. You know these things beforehand. So we've got to guard ourselves, not just for ourselves, but for those who are in unbelief. Why? Because they face the swift wrath and judgment of God. We must not only tell them that, but we have to live like that. Look back in our text and we'll close. And that day, he which shall be on the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down and take it away. And that he that's in the field, let him all, likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. That pull to materialism, that pull to live for this world, this temporal world is strong. Lot's wife was consumed with it. She had a life back in Sodom and she said, you know what? I don't really want to leave that, but she felt kind of forced to do that. Her, her heart, her life, her faith, everything was there in her stuff, and her life. And she walked, and she turned back, and she faced the judgments that God said would come if they did. So the charge is very clear. You can't be tied to this world and living in the next. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that our conversation, our citizenship, is in heaven. And that's where we look for our Savior to come from, because that's our home. I love that, that video before... Uh, that, that hymn today and those words it said finally home that's, that's our home and that's when we will be finally home look at, back in our text verse 33 whosoever shall save his life shall lose it whosoever shall lose, lose his life shall preserve it I tell you that, that in that night there shall be two men and understand this you see that word is italicized in your Bible two men it's added people twist this one of those twisting verses uh, that, that people use to, to, to propagate their, uh, their own agenda in the culture today. Uh, that's simply added by the translators for, so us to, for us to know that it's two people in a bed. Of course, it's in, in, intended in that day and time that it was, it was a man and a woman in bed. One shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding the other. And the, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. This return, this judgment will come at once. Why he's given these explanations is he, he already talked about how he will come. As lightning lighteneth one part of the sky, and you can see it on the other side of the sky, he's essentially saying this. It's going to be the same way on one side of the globe as it is on the other side of the globe. Some people are going to be asleep because on one side of the globe it's nighttime, the other side is daytime. Some people are going to be sleeping the same day. Other people are going to be out in the field working, grinding at the mill. It's going to happen the same exact way. I'm not going to read it, but you have it there in your notes. I want to encourage you to read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 3 through 10. But one of the verses there in verse 8, it says this, that Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Listen, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's not muddied. That's not to be debated. That's clear. When Jesus comes and, and judges, 
He's coming with flaming fire, with his mighty angels, and he's going to destroy all sin, all wickedness, and all those who rejected him and remained in their own unrighteousness. The Bible says, with everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction. 37 in our text says, They answered and said, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the angels, eagles be gathered together, the vultures be gathered. As the musicians make their way, point number three this morning is this. The key to entering the kingdom and escaping judgment is surrender. He just said it. Whosoever will lose their life will save it, and whoever saves their life will lose it. He's talking about surrender. If you want to gain eternal life, you've got to surrender. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to surrender. Complete surrender. He's talking about faith, and that's what surrender is. Surrender is faith, and faith is surrender. Lot's wife was consumed, again, with what she had. She was dedicated to preserving what she was leaving. Had she in faith let go and move forward, she would have had life. So this morning, I want to charge you and challenge you. This message must not be understated, and it must not be underestimated. 2,000 years have passed since these things were written. And don't be mistaken, we are on the brink of Christ's return. So I've been hearing that my whole Christian life. The judgment's still coming, and the days are getting shorter kingdom of God is coming and let's not forget that wickedness and wicked people will be judged and vanquished and the only hope for them is the hope we have in us the only hope for the lost from missing this judgment is the hope that's found in us because of Jesus Christ and our faith people must hear this we've got to live our lives in such a way sounding the trumpet heralding the, the news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our only hope. And I want to say it again. I've said it last Thursday night at Outreach. I'm going to say it again in this service. I love what the missionary that recently visited said. It's good news if only they hear it. If the lost, it, it's only good news if they get it, if they only hear it. But how are they going to hear it? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It says that the power of God in salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the hope, we have the gospel, we have the light of the glorious gospel given to us so that it would shine to all those that are in the world. We've got to be urgent about this. We've got to make sure that we're living our lives in godliness and holiness and, and, and being steadfast in the things of God, steadfast in our relationship with God. That's what we've got to be. Why? Again, the judgment's coming. It's coming swift. It will be final. There will be no second chances. There will be no extra time. It will happen. And it will be too late for so many. That's why we've got to do this. That's why we've got to take this serious. That's why we've got to live and share what God has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you say, man, I don't like this, and you've never heard about the judgment, you've never heard about everlasting destruction, or maybe you have 
and it's never hit you, but this morning it's gripped your heart, it's caused uh, a fear. I'm not looking to scare anybody, but I'm looking to warn. Again, that's what you do when you love somebody. You tell them, this is what's happening. I don't want you to get hurt. If you've never surrendered your life as we just saw, I'm begging you, please come today and at least let our ministers that will be standing down here show you in God's word more of uh, how you can be saved, how you can miss that part of the judgment and have eternal life, never having to worry about this at all. Please come and do that. For us Christians, maybe you need to hit this altar and say, God, I've not been steadfast like I need to be. I've not been dedicated to living holy and righteous. I've not, I've not been uh, living in anticipation of your return. I get up every day, and I do. I live for my job. I live for my stuff. I live for my entertainment. I live for my kids. I live for my spouse. I live for this. I live for that. And I'm not living for you as my king, as my soon-returning king. God, help me live like that. Help me be dedicated to you above all things. Let's pray and respond to God's word. Thank you so much for this time, Lord. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for the challenge it's given me, the reminder that it's given me that I should be living every day with, with passion that increases uh, for you, for your return, for uh, sharing the gospel, this good news, this only hope to those that are in darkness, warning them out of love that the wrath is coming, judgment is coming. And if, if those who are lost don't get in the ark, if they don't get in Christ, if they don't re- repent of their sins and, and put their faith in you, that they're going to experience the same judgment that the people know as lots in the day to come will experience. Lord, help us to respond rightly to this message. We'll praise you for all you do. We ask all this in Jesus' name.